is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Good morning. Are we all right? Good. It's great to uh, be with you all this morning. Um, As Graham said, uh, today we're continuing um, our series of looking um, at Mark's Gospel, uh, which has been really wonderful to to look through together. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at the first part of chapter 10 up to verse 17, which, uh, if you've been reading ahead, introduces, you'll know, uh, a challenging topic for us to get into together. Uh, which is the subject of divorce. In this, of course, is one of the outworkings of looking through a book series, um, in that we come up against topics that we probably wouldn't naturally lean towards uh, preaching about, but nonetheless are ones that are important for us as a church to consider uh, and study. Before we start this morning, I do want to recognise some key things. Firstly, I fully recognise this is a very personal and challenging subject. I know for some of you here today that you will have been hurt by the actions of a spouse or lived through the implications, pains or trials of divorce. You may also likely know others close to you, family, friends, that have been through these challenges and hurts. And even just mentioning the topic may bring back painful memories. So over all this, My prayer is that you would hear God's heart, that you would know his grace and his love for you and for each of us. Nothing we've done or been through can separate us from the love of God. It's important to always keep hold of that. Secondly, it is the case that there well may be a range of different views in the room on this. So, um, as well as there being far too many specific scenarios, we could consider to look through uh, this morning. As elders, uh, we have looked through the topic uh, of divorce together and all agree with the points we will look at this morning. In fact, I think each of us have got some lines in here somewhere. We want to be true to God's word and his call on our lives as Christians and what that ultimately means for us. This may well mean that what we teach flies counter to the world's view. So if you do have any questions or would like to discuss anything we've looked at uh, in more detail afterwards, then please do speak with either myself, Graham, Ray or Tim. Why don't we uh, pray together quickly before we begin. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, as we consider and study your word, I pray that your spirit would guide us and help us uh, think of these things. Father, we want to walk in the fullness and of life that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, let's start by opening our Bibles and looking at the first part of our passage today. So, looking at Mark 10. Uh, starting at verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and sent her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So, definitely not the cheeriest of subjects to look at. Once again, we find the Pharisees crafting and creating questions and situations to try and catch out Jesus. In this passage, they're trying to set him up and position him as an opponent to the law of Moses and further build the case against him to take him out of the picture. But of course, Jesus' wisdom exposes their intentions whilst giving us further insight into the heart of God. For in his reply is, um, is shown to us the real beauty of God's creation plan for marriage and God's heart and design for it. Jesus' response to the question of divorce is as much about what God intended for marriage as it is the, about the circumstances for its ending. During my uh, preparation time for this, I found myself led to looking at the text and uh, preface of the marriage service, which uh, I found succinctly gives us a good starting point. Uh, you may well recognise this. Marriage is a gift of God in creation, through which husband and wife may know the grace of God. It is given that as man and woman know... Uh, man and woman grow together in love and trust. They shall be united with one another in heart, body and mind as Christ is united with his bride, the church. Marriage is God's plan. It is his design for husband and wife to know each other intimately, to support and provide for each other. A place of security and stability in a relationship for the upbringing of children, of supporting community and building the church. It is a lifetime commitment, but more than just being a legal union, um, it is a spiritual one that is created by God. Two join together to become one flesh. When two come together in this way, as God intended, it is a thing of beauty and joy. However, as Jesus points out, mankind's sinful nature and our hardness of heart can take us away from God's design and his plan for our lives. In this, and of course, many other things. The ending of a marriage is, in reality, a result of the sin in one of, or both spouses, their lustful hearts, their refusal to change or accept that they've done anything wrong, a refusal to compromise or to be self-sacrificial. Divorce is never the place that God wants us to be. If you're going to take just one thing away from you this morning, I pray that it's one that would strengthen and build our marriages, along with how we can avoid even getting close to that place. Let's not forget that the devil prowls around like a lion, waiting to find someone 
or a marriage to destroy, as destroying a marriage can do more than just damage between two people, but can deeply impact the lives of those close to them and even topple entire churches. It's the unfortunate truth that we've seen even highly regarded Christian leaders who you would never expect anything to happen to, to fall into sinful temptation and destroy their marriages, their ministries and relationships of those close to them. If you think that this could never happen to you, or you build a place of complacency in your relationship, this is dangerous ground to live on. Ultimately, it means investment, prioritising our marriage, putting practical protections in place, and above all, learning to love like God loves. It's very possible for you to hear this and have the point as being that we should just work harder at our marriages, but if it's just down to our own efforts, then it will end up being judged just like my school report could do better. In this, we need to know the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to guide and strengthen us this way. We need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to help us in this, to learn to love like God loves, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. These are incredible self-sacrificial pictures of how we should be in our marriages. Pray for your spouse. Keep them close to your heart and lifted before God. He can help us in all things, in all situations. Graham shared with me an astute observation about the context of this passage in Mark, in that it is sandwiched in between two passages, both about serving and loving. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all, which we saw in Mark 9. And whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, which we read later on in chapter 10. You'd think Jesus was trying to make a point, wouldn't you? Sometimes, however, it is the case that we aren't servant-hearted, loving, or kind. So a key thing for us to consider um, would be if there are any warning signs in our relationship, in how we treat our spouse, that are unhealthy and can start to lead us down the path of destroying the relationship. There are four common traits to watch out for that relationship counsellors often highlight, which are firstly criticism, which uh, involves blaming your partner frequently. Uh, secondly, defensiveness, in never receiving what your partner is talking to you about. Thirdly, stonewalling, in withdrawing from a conversation and just showing that you're not listening. And finally, fourthly, contempt, which includes things like name-calling, eye-rolling, and insulting. Now, if your first thought when listening to that list has been to take it and apply it to your spouse, this is your first red flag. I share these things not as a shopping list for you to start criticising your other half, but as an inward-looking exercise for awareness of what we can pray for God to help us with and also work towards improving our attitudes on these things. This is for you and your heart. But also, I would say, if any of these things feel like they ring true, do talk to a trusted friend or couple who can help support you. With God's help and with others around you, all these things can be overcome, our relationships strengthened, and marriage is built as God intended. That said, however, of course, there is the sad reality of our sinful nature, where these things don't go to plan. Division is created, and marriages are broken. 
as we read in Malachi, God hates divorce. Though, as we also read in the Bible, there are some circumstances where divorce is given as a concession for the realities of living in a fallen world. This passage in Mark is also found in Luke and Matthew's Gospel, which also has some additional context to the questions and responses that Jesus gave. One thing to note, if you look in verses 3 and 4, there's an interesting uh, choice of verbs here. You can see this also in Matthew's account. Jesus challenges the Pharisees about what Moses commanded. However, they almost conceded that Moses permitted divorce. There is provision for divorce in Deuteronomy that shows that although it is not his perfect will, because of the sinfulness of the human race, God allows it under certain circumstances as a concession. Jesus' expression, hardness of heart, highlights divorce is a concession and not part of God's original beginning plan. In Jesus' day, there were some very lax interpretations and teachings uh, by rabbis uh, for divorce. Um, indeed, if you look at Matthew's account, the Pharisees' question is specifically around divorcing a wife for any reason. So some genuinely taught um, examples of this at the time included uh, for per uh, permitted divorce included a wife burning the food, talking too loudly, and losing her physical beauty. It doesn't feel like it upholds the institution of marriage very highly when all it takes is for you to burn the toast and you're out the door, does it? It almost seems a bit laughable. Um, and that you'd feel like today we're more civilised than that. Though, just some food for thought. Is our society's culture and current provision for no-fault divorce really any different? For any reason given, you can divorce your spouse and that's the end of it. Jesus addresses the root of the real problem behind these spurious reasons for divorce. And that is lust. The seventh of the Ten Commandments is not to commit adultery, which, of course, no law-abiding rabbi would ever be caught doing. But if you're able to divorce your wife for leaving lumps in the pancake batter and then just marry someone else who takes your fancy at the time, that's okay, isn't it? Let me be clear. No, it's not. <laughs> adultery is something that rarely starts in the bedroom. It's the flirtatious behaviour with a co-worker, the subtle stroke of the hand with a friend, or any of a hundred steps before you eventually end up there. It may well be the case that these actions are ones that make you drift apart or feel incompatible with your spouse. Jesus' point is that divorcing your spouse as a means to an end to marry someone else is in itself adultery. These are the top seven reasons for divorce in the UK, according to the internet, so therefore they must be true. <laughs> the top one is drifted apart. The second, lack of compatibility. How likely is it that in the majority of these situations, lust is at the root of that journey? The others, money issues, infidelity, a lack of intimacy, poor communication and abuse. As I said at the start, marriage isn't just a formal recognition of your relationship. It is a covenant, a lifelong commitment, a spiritual binding between husband and wife. The majority of these seven reasons 
are not in line with the Christian view of permitted divorce. If anything, they give us a bit of an insight into the culture um, and society we live in. I'd hazard a guess that if you ask someone on the street if, you thought, if they thought they were all valid reasons, they would likely say yes to all. Our marriages as Christians should be more robust than that. We should be making every effort to strengthen and build rather than letting things slip down a bad path. Jesus' point is not to find yourself in the place where lust starts creeping in and fake legalism can be used to hide it or move on from your marriage. Put practical protections in place to help stop you from ever getting there. As I mentioned earlier, if you think these things can never happen to you, it's a dangerous place. So even if you think that life is rosy, it's still beneficial to put practical things in place to help. As an example, one thing Rachel and I agreed on is not to be alone in a car with someone from the opposite sex. Not that either of us are expecting to do anything untoward, but it just puts protections in place to help ensure we never get there in that isolated environment. Of course, there can be practical exceptions to it, but only ones that we discuss as a couple in openness and honesty. Something for you to consider then would be if there are any practical protections you could put in place in your marriage to stop any of these things like lust or other problems arising. That said, some of those reasons before are biblical grounds for divorce. With the exception of, of death ending a marriage, there are three named New Testament situations where divorce is permitted. Those are adultery, which in the Greek is mochia, sexual immorality, which in the Greek is pornea, and circumstances of non-Christian divorce in 1 Corinthians 7. The difference between adultery and sexual immorality, in case you're wondering, is that Adultery is a very specific case of sex whilst married with another person who is not your spouse. Sexual immorality, the Greek word pornea, is a broader catch-all term, which you would class adultery under, but also other things as well. In addition to this, there are also other circumstances um, in which we would say divorce is permitted, but the Bible is not specific about what these are. There are circumstances that we come across pastorally in our contemporary society, such as abuse or domestic violence, that are not addressed in Scripture. In these situations, elders would have to bring direction guided by, by pastoral wisdom that is relevant to each particular case. It should never be the case that anyone is trapped in an abusive relationship. A lot of support and pastoral wisdom is needed in those situations. Some have used scripture to force battered women to stay in their marriages. This is not our position. Physical harm to spouses or children is absolutely not acceptable. While things like adultery and other circumstances mentioned would be considered uh, permitted reasons for divorce by a Christian, it therefore isn't something that should be the, the default end game to go to. Being betrayed by the one you love is one of the worst feelings imaginable. Getting to a place where there is reconciliation and healing after, um, after trust is shattered is not easy and requires both to work hard 
with a lot of support and with the grace of God. Where at all possible, steps should be taken to work these things through, of which there is likely no simple fix to make it all right. <coughs> a final point for us to consider um, on this topic is that it's important for us as a church to support all marriages. Those that are thriving, as well as ones which are working through painful difficulties or working on reconciliation. Cast your mind back to the marriage service. Part of it is when the vicar turns to the gathered congregation and says, Will you, the families and friends of this couple, support and uphold them in their marriage now and in the years to come? We are here in the now. And for many marriages, the years to come are indeed now as well. As a church, we're looking to run the marriage course later this year. Um, I can say from personal experience that it's a great course to get along to. One that helps you continually build upon and strengthen your marriages. Whether you've been married for four or for 40 years, uh, do watch out for further notices on this. And can I encourage you uh, to get registered and go along? One way that we as a church can also um, help support couples who want to get along uh, to it um, and I'm very uh, say, happy to say this from the front, but practical support for babysitting, for marriage course evenings uh, or date nights are very supportive um, and very welcome. Okay, moving on to the final part of the passage today um, as we start to uh, come into the land. And we're picking up from verse uh, 13 now. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. I believe there are a few quick takeaways uh, for us to think of uh, from this. Uh, Graham helpfully gave us a bit of a starter and introduction to this context uh, from the passage last time, in that it was the case that children were not highly regarded in society at the time. However, as Jesus said previously, whoever welcomes one of these children welcomes me. And yet, here we are, 25 verses later, and they've seemingly not taken to heart or been mindful of what Jesus had told them previously, not for the first or indeed the last time. Yeah, they've got Jesus directly with them, teaching them, and yet their ingrained cultural norms just kick in, and they start rebuking those who are bringing their kids to Jesus. As we've been thinking about before, there are probably some cultural norms ingrained in each of us, ones which we as Christians um, should walk in a different way to. I think it's important for us to try and recognise, be mindful and aware of these things, so that when the time comes, uh, or a decision needs to be made, we're thinking of the ways of God, rather than just accepting 
what's normal in the culture around us. Something for you to think about this week could be what cultural norms you go along with that could be done differently. If the disciples had truly grasped what Jesus told them previously, they would have considered a different approach in the treating of the, of the parents of those bringing uh, their children to Jesus. For children are not just the future of the church, they are the church. And I think we may have mentioned this last time, especially in the context of the dedications. But wasn't it lovely earlier? Uh, worshipping together as a, as a church family. There's so much we can learn from our kids, as well as what we can teach them. Jesus' point here is that we as adults could all do with taking a leaf out of a child's approach when it comes to receiving the kingdom of God. Like children, we are to be open and receptive, be honest about our feelings, acknowledge how frail and vulnerable we are, and how much we need others. Just like children, be quick to forgive and quick to move on in trust. How often is it the case that as adults these traits are, are pushed aside or, or grown out of? Children are usually enthusiastic, appreciative and excited when given gifts. When it comes to God's kingdom, we are to be exactly the same. Dependent on Jesus' gift to us and ready to accept it as a gift which, which we do not deserve, but which Jesus in his mercy offers to us. We need the kingdom and grace of God in all walks of our lives, especially as we've been looking at earlier in our marriages and relationships. And I think that gives us a perfect place to finish on. While we stand together, um, just going to spend some time just, um, just, just waiting on the Lord. We'll, we'll pray. Um, Rachel as well. You, Rachel's got um, Rachel's got a word that uh, she wants to share too. So it was just actually when we were worshiping earlier. I've actually got uh, just two things. One of them, I just really felt there's a verse in Ecclesiastes about two are better than one because they will have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another one to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Um, and I just felt that perhaps there is people, someone, that's taken on the lie that things would be simpler if they were alone, that actually this is all a lot of hard work and actually maybe I'd be better off and maybe things would actually be easier if I was on my own. I just really felt that verse about actually, you know, it says that two are better than one and a threefold call is not quickly broken. Loads of people do that at a marriage service, don't they? Talk about the three cord of God and the husband and the wife. But I just really felt that verse this morning. And if that's you, that is a lie. It's not better. It clearly says in scripture, two are better than one. And what God has brought together, let no man pull apart, put asunder. 
So she really felt that one. And the other, I'm so glad Kat brought her word. Because when we were singing a song earlier, it said, out of the ashes, hope will arise. And I really felt that actually, when you're going through hard times, it's very easy to get lost in the dark, which fits beautifully with what you brought. But actually, out of the ashes, hope will arise. And actually, out of testimonies of how God has come through for other people, hope is birthed. So if you've been struggling trying for children, if you've been struggling for finances, if you've been struggling with forgiving and starting again and trying to work through that, I really feel that there is hope in the Lord. Obviously, there's hope in the Lord, but there's also hope in getting alongside someone else that's lived through that. There's a great West Wing quote about someone falls down a hole and then someone else jumps in. And he's like, well, now we're both stuck down the hole. He says, no, but I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. I just really felt that if that's something you've struggled with or any of those things has been something that's struggled with, there is hope that comes from getting alongside another couple and praying through that and praying into that breakthrough. Because I don't know about you, but my spirit rises when I hear someone say of, well, we went through there and we prayed and it might have taken 12 years or eight years. And you think, oh, please don't let it take 12 or eight years. But actually you've come through that. God's come through. God can do it for you. He can do it for me. Um, I don't need that, yeah. Um, <laughs> why don't we stand together? I think it's important just for us to spend some time just waiting on the Lord and just um, letting, letting uh, the Spirit just speak to us and, and guide us. Um, we will have a chance to pray. I will pray um, uh, in a bit. But yeah, let's just wait. Let's just wait on the Lord for a bit. Lord God, we, uh, Father, we thank you for the joy of knowing you and knowing your heart, your heart for us. Father, we, we, we just want to walk in the fullness of life that you have um, and help us just to be like those children, Lord, uh, enthusiastic, uh, receptive, appreciative of the gifts uh, that you've given us. Um, and Lord, for the things that we've uh, talked about today that, that have stirred our hearts or, or challenged us, uh, Lord, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would guide and that you would uh, speak to us. Father, we, we pray for, for marriages, Lord. Father, we pray for, for strength. We pray for unity. pray for healthy relationships. Father, we, uh, we, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the gift of Jesus. Um, our guide, our strength, and our redeemer. 
Lord, Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we'll officially end the, the meeting there, but I do want to just say, you know, we have time. We're going to be around. If there's anything, like, I'm going to completely open the floor on this as well, so um, it doesn't become a thing of people looking like, oh, they're coming to the front for the prayer. They must be having issues. If you, if you think life is going great and you would like prayer and blessing on your marriage, come, come to the front. If there are other things that you would like, if there's things that have prompted you, then we'd love to pray with you. Um, or if anything has spoken or challenged you this morning, um, again, we need, we need prayer, we need people alongside us uh, in every step of life we take. Um, so we're going to hang around. We're officially ending. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.